You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Damien Hardwick. Damien is an Australian rules football coach and former player. As a player, he played 207 games for Essendon and Port Adelaide, winning premierships with each club in 2000 and 2004, respectively. He was appointed to his first head coach role in 2010 with Richmond and led them to premierships in 2017, 2019 and 2020. He is now the longest tenured coach in the club's 136-year history. In 2017, he was voted Coach of the Year by his peers and is also a member of a small and elite group of people who have both played in and coached an AFL Premiership. Damien's journey as a coach has been documented in books and in documentaries and in this interview he takes us through the key infliction points that led him to changing his philosophy and then ultimately leading his team to three premierships. It's a terrific story. There are so many highlights, and here are just a few that stayed with me afterwards. His descriptions of the efforts that went into building the championship environment that eventually led to those three premierships. 
how it was a leadership course on authenticity at Harvard in America that led him to change his style and ultimately unlock improved performance in the team. And the use of the Triple H framework, hero, hardship and highlight, to encourage his team to become more open and vulnerable with each other and how this deeper level of connection translated into improved performance. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And now, please enjoy our interview with Damien Hardwick. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Damien Hardwick, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, no, actually, good morning for me. Late yeah, Friday afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Exactly. It's nearly beer time. So uh, we can wrap this up quick. I can go and have a couple of beers. It'd be nice. I'll promise to try and make it quick and interesting because I'm the only thing standing between you and that lovely stone and wood pale ale we were just talking about. Exactly right. No, I'm looking forward to the chat. So it's be good to catch up. So, Damien, most of the audience won't know about you and the Tiger story. So I'm really interested in unpacking a little bit of, of the leadership style that you exhibited through this great run that the team's continuing to have. But maybe I could just start by going back and just talking about some of the great coaches you've had experience with, because you've actually had firsthand experience with two of the greats of the game. There's Kevin Sheedy and Alistair Clarkson. You've also experienced Mark Williams and Dennis Pagan. Also, yeah. some big names. So, from this perspective, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? That's a really good question, actually. I'd probably say I've had four great coaches, to be honest. They're all probably legends of the game in, in their own right. But probably the thing that I found is each is different and probably authentic to themselves, if that makes sense. Like, I look at the great Kevin Sheedy, who I played for for about 13 or 14 years and was very fortunate to be a part of of his tenure at Essendon. And this is a guy that coached me for 153 games. So every week he had to think of something to motivate me as a player to play not only for the jumper, but also my team, but also for him. And that was the the great thing about Sheeds. He was an incredible motivator of men. He had this uncanny knack, even though we're one of the best sides in the competition, to always make it feel us against them. He had an incredible sense of belonging with the team that he brought you along in the journey. And that's one of those things I I think I took from him first and foremost was a sense of belonging and team unity that was was really important. And it's funny, I had the, the great Dennis Pagan. Dennis was a, a great player of systems, had a really good sense of of what a team looked like and how it played and would just pick the pieces to play that style of game and had incredible success in the the underage teams, but also his senior teams that he took over as well. I played under the great Mark Williams, great Choco Williams, who was an incredibly innovative coach, was by far further advanced than any other coach I'd have in IT and style and system of play and the use of trends. So I took a great deal of learning from him. And then probably the the guy I probably base most of my coaching off, the all-time great Alistair Clarkson, who obviously just uh, finished up last year, but four-time premiership coach. And one of the things that Alistair was very good at and I've hopefully taken into my coaching is his ability to storytell and link a story with the journey of the team. And I think that was his great strength. Don't get me wrong, incredibly intelligent, smart guy, but the way he could bring his people along for the ride was second to none. And I think that's why I'll go down as one of the all-time great coaches of not only AFL, but modern sport. So talking about all-time great coaches, you're well on the way yourself. You're now the most tenured coach in Richmond's 136-year history. There's not a lot of sporting organisations around the world that have that kind of history. But it 
what's fascinating about your story is it didn't start so well. First year, <laughs> there's nine straight losses. Next two seasons, it wasn't much better. What did mm. you learn about dealing with self-doubt through those years? We came together at 2010, which, uh, like you said, lost our first nine games. And what I sort of sat down and we went through as an organisation, and, and one of the good thing about our organisation, and I think the great organisations in general, is the senior coach is a, is a part of the equation, but you're really a byproduct of your people. And if you get the right people in your organisation, generally good things happen. So we had a really good understanding about what we wanted it to look like. There's a great saying, I'm probably going to bugger this up in a way, but championship teams are built or a championship teams way before they're champions. So what we wanted to do is have a look and feel of our side and then create an environment that we think would be a champion ship team quality environment. So we weren't winning a lot of games, but we still wanted to have the values and behaviours of a, of a great footy side. So to the point where we, we would celebrate the smallest of wins, like, for example, if we won the coin toss before a game, that was an enormous, smallest thing for us. We, we would celebrate that as a victory. But, you know, the challenge for a coach when you're not going so well is your performance is linked to outcome. We're measured by wins and losses. There's no doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is if you've got a strong program and you've got a really strong vision of what your club looks like, you can, and if you get the right people involved and on board, you can sustain a period where you will build on the journey. And I think that's what we did very well. We looked at every loss as a gift. You learn more from your losses and do your wins. And so we have this incredible mentality about you can choose to be buried or planted. You can choose to, to sit down and look down on life and or you can choose to be planted where all of a sudden you've got that real growth mentality where you're coming out of the earth as compared to staying into it. And we're very strong on that. It was really hard, don't get me wrong, because at various stages we are, we weren't going particularly well, especially in those first two to three years. But I was very fortunate with a great team of people around me that had a very strong and firm belief in not only myself but the vision that we were trying to implement. You know, what's fascinating about your journey as a leader is actually – it's marked by a dramatic change in style. And there was a book that was being written at the time. So, you know, we can follow along and see this change. You went from being, I think you've actually used these words, you know, a micromanager who overcoached to someone that stepped back, became yeah. more available physically and emotionally, which then goes on to deliver three premierships. How did this change come about? Was there a person or event sort of sh- helped you shift your style? Yeah, it was a, and as you said, it's probably a little bit well documented, but You know, we made three final series from 13, 14 and 15, but we got bundled out in the first round of of the finals every year. And 2016, I probably made a decision to be more, not so much not me, but I decided to be harder on my team. I thought, well, you know what, we haven't quite got where we need to go and I'm going to create an environment where it's hard and tough and not so much fun. But what ended up happening, it ended up becoming a really negative environment and it was purely based off fear. And you know what happens if you you sit there and you think about when you're at your very best, it's when you're most relaxed and you've probably got a smile on your face and you're not thinking about the fear of outcome, you're just thinking about the process involved. I created an environment at that stage where it was purely based off outcome, so it created tension and anxiety and players were nowhere near performing at their best. So I created this fear culture within our footy club and I was very fortunate, our CEO at the time and uh, president at the time, Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill, it was a leadership course over at Harvard called Authentic Leaders. And you went over there and effectively what you did, you delved deep inside yourself, did a lot of interviews on people around you about what your strengths were as a, as a coach or a manager. So not only getting an idea of that, but also what you were like at your worst. And what I found is I'm an accountant by nature, so I love the detail, I love nature's, uh, sorry, um, numbers. So what I found was when I was at my very worst, I was 
crunching the numbers too much. I was looking into data, whereas I wasn't trusting my gut or, or trusting my feel. And then when I looked at myself when I was the best, I was at my best when I was happy, I was having fun, I was still very much a hard worker, but it was more based around the fact that you know an incredibly tough job, but there's nothing to say that we can't have fun and enjoyment at the same time. And the fact of the matter is the more relaxed I am, the more relaxed my team will be at the same time. So if I'm showing stress and anxiety, there's no doubt they're replicating what I'm feeling. So I had a really strong understanding about coming back to the 2017 season, about being fun, relaxed, energetic, vibrant, all those sort of things that are going to create a positive environment for our players and allow them to be the very best players they they wanted to be. And I based it around coaching my under my daughter's under 13 basketball side because I still maintain if you can coach your daughter's under 13 basketball side, you can coach professional AFL footy, I guarantee you. Trying to keep the girls engaged and all that was was all about having fun and playing games but getting them to learn along the way. And I had incredible success with that formula with the girls. And funnily enough, I took that formula across to my to my AFL coaching and um, was very, very lucky that uh, it sort of it mirrored what the success I had at the uh, the girls' level as well, which is uh, which is really important. One of the themes that comes up, when you're interviewed and when I hear you talk is vulnerability. And it seems like you've learned to embrace it, which is strange mid-career, you know, to make such a big change and and you use it as a means to build connections with people. Is there any advice or learning you've had about this topic of vulnerability that you, you might share with someone who's in a similar position with you, struggling to connect with their team or struggling to reconnect with their organization and build a sense of belonging? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point because I think what happens is when you step into coaching, you're always trying to replicate the great coaches that you've had. So you're trying to take the very bits, best bits out of them and trying to morph them into you. And there's no question I was trying to do exactly the same. But what you tend to do is when you're trying to be someone else, you're not actually bringing out yourself and you're not realising why the people that employed you in the first place, they employed you because of who you are. So I was trying to be an imposter of sorts. I was trying to be the great Alistair Clarkson, Kevin Sheedy, Mark Williams, Dennis Pagan, whereas I wasn't being, I hate referring to myself in third person, but wasn't being the very best version of Damien Hardwick. And that's what that, that course taught me. Just do what you do, do it well. Because I've got incredible strengths in certain areas, but I've also got areas that I'm not great at. And what I had to learn and understand is I didn't have to be great at everything. I just had to be great at certain things. And the one thing I found it that I could complement myself with other people in my organisation. I was very good at this, but you know what? It's not my strength, that area, so I'm going to employ someone that is an expert in that field. And that was the one thing I think that I that I learned was I had to step back and I had to swallow my ego because I reckon the hardest thing as a leader sometimes is to say, you know what, in front of your players, boys, I don't know the answer. You know, as a leader, you always think you've got to have every answer, but the fact of the matter is players can, they got a great understanding when you're bullshitting them, excuse the language, but they've got a great understanding of saying, listen, you're, you're full of crap. And I think what the players started to understand and really like is the fact, boys, I don't know why we lost the game, the matter and we did, but we're going to find out and we'll get back with the answer as a group of coaches. And the more I opened up to the players, the more they opened up to me. And the one thing I found is, at the start of that 2017 season, I stumbled onto a book by John Gordon. I can't remember. It was written by the him and the Atlanta Falcons coach. I think his surname was Smith at some stage. And they had this concept that they did called Triple H, which was hero, hardship and highlight. And so we started to, to talk about connection as a team and connection as individuals. And we thought if we could strengthen that connection, that it would become a really beneficial thing for our footy club. And 
one of the first players to stand up was a young lad by the name of Brandon Ellis, who I'd coached Brandon for six or seven years, and he told a story, and I was embarrassed as a coach that I didn't know the story about one of my best players. I didn't have the deep connection that I thought I had. I thought I was good, but in reality, I was just touching the surface of all my relationship with the players. I didn't really know the individual that was inside that exterior, and that sort of brought about a little bit of, well, you know what, I've got to dig a little bit deeper here because the connection piece for me is a word that really when I think about all my success that I've had as a coach but also as a player, it was the stronger our connection both on and off the field as a side, the better we replicated that success on field. And that was the one thing that I think we really, really went to work on in the 2017 season and have continued to to delve into that because they're just such pivotal conversations that bring you closer together and if you're closer, you're going to do things more importantly, above and beyond what you'll normally do for someone that's a teammate or a friend or a work colleague. It's a powerful story. And I'm just wondering, in an Australian rules football team, you've got 40 people in that room, maybe more with support staff. Yeah. And one of the things when we think about bringing vulnerability into conversations is this sense of fear that someone will laugh or belittle you. Was there any reaction in that room that you had to calibrate and step in and, and redirect? We spoke about it heavily at the start about how for this to work, you're going to hear some stories that are quite harrowing. You know, obviously people have been through different upbringings and all those sort of things, but there has to be a level of trust in the room that you are comfortable enough to tell this story in front of people that you're going to go on the field and battle for. And we spoke about that at length probably before we we did the exercise and had the conversation about, listen, what is in this room stays in this room, but understand the level of trust required from the person who's telling the story they're putting their, you know, some some quite horrific moments and some embarrassing moments and things they're not proud of, they might be quite ashamed of, and for them to open up was incredible, really. But it had to have an element of trust. They had to have the, the trust between teammates, between work colleagues, and it was a very fine line because there's no doubt it was very fortunate that it worked for us and had great great rewards. But then there's probably other organisations that don't have that trust where it's probably not going to have the same impact as what it did for our, for our organisation. But then it sort of stemmed from myself and Trent told our story first and foremost and then we just went through each player and staff member and it was the conversation in there was really important. But then what happened, what would happen is that over lunch then the conversations would really start. Then you'd start to dig deeper and then you'd start to talk about similar type of experience. And what tended to happen is, we were team, but then we became like brothers in essence and you became like a, a stronger sense of a family, which is really, really important. So our sense of purpose and why became even stronger as a result of these conversations that we were having over prior to training sessions and over lunch, which uh, certainly became part of the fabric of our knitted culture and, and why we got the success that we did. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's an amazing story and it's, it's, uh, there's documentaries and books about it. So if anyone's listening, I'll put the, the details in the show notes. Damien, there's a great quote from one of your players, Nick Vlaston, when he's referring to this change. And he says, and I'd like to give you the quote before I ask the question. He said, now the puzzle has started to come together because we're all different shapes and the coaches are celebrating that and not so much talking about what we're doing wrong. It was actually yeah. the second half of that quote that caught my eye because he says what we're not doing wrong. And I, I wanted to ask you, how did this conscious decision to focus on strengths over weaknesses start to cement itself in your style? Yeah, it was a little bit what I touched on on previously. I think what tends to happen with coaching, and this is just a natural, not even in coaching, it's just in life in general, instead of looking at the glass half full, we always look at it as half empty. I was always looking at what players, not always, but I'd probably tend to look at what a player couldn't do instead of what a player could do. And then what I started to find out, well, listen, if we started after that, the course that I did looking at the strengths of myself, but my team and my players, if I started to look at well, what they could do, what I could then offset that, Obviously, they're going to have some areas like me that they weren't weren't as strong as. I could complement. So I could then say, okay, well, Nick Vlosten's elite at this. This is probably the area that he's 20% that he's not as good, but Basha Hawley makes up for that. And then Basha Hawley's very, very good at this, so I probably need a player that can pick up this area. So all of a sudden, we started putting players in their strength elements and getting them to understand how it worked to gel together. And through connection, they became this formidable unit. Because what tends to happen, I reckon, is as a coach, you're always looking for mistakes and the things that a player can improve. But what we forget to do is we forget to work on the player's strengths. There's a reason that Nick Floston came to our club. He was good at A, B, C and D. We didn't really care about the things that he wasn't good at in E and F because he was so good at A, B, C and D. So let's just worry about that. Let's not worry about the things that he needs work on because I'll find another player that's really, really good at those. So I had a better understanding about stick to that player's strengths and look at what he can do. Don't worry about what he can't do. Because there's other players that can do those things better than Nick. And that's what it stemmed from. So, because originally what I was trying to do is I was trying to get all the players not to be robotic, but to play a certain style of game. And I wanted the game played in a certain way. But what that did is it took away the strengths of some of our players that were some of our very best players. Because I was trying to get them, I was giving them paddock with small fences instead of giving a, a bigger paddock with bigger fences so they could explore their talent and let it come out. We still had a game style that we wanted to implement. But the reality was we wanted the game to look a certain way. But, guys, you guys figure it out. You've got these strengths. Let's make sure we see them and let's play to them. I understand that not only did your leadership style change but also the game plan. And it was actually, if I'm reading this right, it was a game of Connect Four with your daughter that got you to override yeah. a game plan, which then leads to three premierships. So I think i better ask about that game of Connect Four. Yeah, it was funny. I was... Connect Four in the, the Hardwick household was a big, it was a trial of passage, I reckon. Like as soon as you could, it was a big step. So my daughter was uh, playing with and I was getting frustrated because I'd sit there and I'd look at it all and all this sort of stuff and I was being aggressive and assertive and all that sort of stuff. And then I'd look at it and this, next thing you know, she'd win or she'd draw. And it was funny. I, I sort of looked at the end and she'd always shit me really because she'd give me a hard time and I'd always think I'd always make an error. But what she sort of stumbled upon and what I sort of stumbled on a result is, is I was always being aggressive, trying to win. What she was doing is she was nullifying, but then she'd see I'd make a mistake and then she'd pounce on the mistake and then she'd win. So 
she either had a draw or would win or I'd either win or lose sort of thing and mainly it was losing. So it's funny, we sort of stumbled on that and then we sort of thought, well, listen, we can take this into our, our game plan. Like end of the day, offensively, Every player that comes into our system, they can play the game. So offensively, they can kick Mark Handball. They've got a really good understanding of that. But a lot of the sides and a lot of the kids that come in, they can't really defend that well. So we devised a system of play that would allow us to defend really, really well. And then once we won the ball back, well, guys, offensively, go and do what you do. We don't have to train that because you guys have been playing it your whole life. So it was a really good strategy and based around that uh that Connect Four game, it sort of really, really kick-started the uh, strength of our defensive system, but more importantly, our style of game as well. So we've got a Harvard course on leadership and a game of Connect yeah. Four coming together to form a, a mental image that leads to three premierships. Fantastic. That's right. Three, three premierships based <laughs> off those two tracks. Yeah. I mean, your, your communication style, it's hard to know because we I've never been in the room. I've only seen footage. Yeah. But your communication style seems to be marked by patience. You seem to take the time to offer clarity by adding context and honesty. You use questioning to check for understanding. It's almost like a teacher in some of the footage. How has this evolved as your career has progressed? Has it always been this way? Or was that also something that changed and, and evolved? I never saw myself as a coach. It was quite funny that um, Alistair Clarkson, who was a um, great mate of mine, he could probably see it before I see it, saw it, if that makes sense, because We had kids similar age, so I used to really, really enjoy teaching my kids, but I also used to enjoy teaching the teaching the sports, like whether it was netball, basketball, all those sort of things I hadn't had any experience in. But you could see that I had this probably understanding about how to tease the answers out of kids. Like at the end of the day, as a you think about your very best teachers, they're not the guys that stand up the front and tell and tell and tell and tell. You lose interest with that. But it's always the teachers that engage and and get you to answer the questions and you feel like as if you're bringing something to the to the class. Those are the sort of teachers you always remember. And I thought that's what I wanted to coach like. I wanted to get the players to come along the journey. I wanted to feel as if every time I present in front of the playing group, it was like a production of sorts. So the players would walk out, wow, that was quite enthralling. So it's funny, our change rooms and people come down there all the time. Yeah, we're a professional organisation playing in front of 100,000 people, but it's dead set like an episode of Seinfeld. Because once again, we work hard and we train hard. We've got a great understanding of how we play, but we want to be relaxed. We want to have the guys having the most relaxed environment so they can bring about their best. We don't want to create this enormous sense of anxiety or stress where the players start to feel tight. We want them to be loose when they're going on the field. So a lot of my coaching will be based around, I'll start off generally with a joke or a gag to to loosen the mood. And then I'll just go over things that we've trained or the experience that we've had, the understanding that we've got what the game will look like, not only look like, but also feel like is really important to our terminology as well. So those sort of things I've I've grown into my coaching, but I'd like to think that most of it stems from going back and thinking about when I was at my most engaged from a teaching perspective, what did it look like from those points? And it's generally the teachers that asked you the most questions and brought you along the journey as well, which is exciting to me. But that must have been, I imagine when you were younger, that wouldn't have been the type of coach you were playing for. I mean, you've listed some of the big names, but I'm sure it was a bit more fire and brimstone. Oh, definitely. And that's where it's it's changed. And I think that was one of the things that, like I said, I've been privileged enough to play under some of the great coaches. And, and Clarko was very much like that too. He was a teacher first and foremost. And I thought, well, he obviously had some some great success with what he did. So I built on that as well. But we're probably similar in the way that we taught our kids certain things. Like you think about when you're teaching your kids to ride a bike, it's 
getting them to figure it out, asking them questions, but then it's the experience of falling over and falling over and falling over. So, listen, this is this is the drill. This is what we're trying to achieve. Go and have a try, then let's come back and let's talk about it. Not giving them the answer because if you're giving them the answer, it might be the right one, but it mightn't necessarily be the best answer, so to speak. It's not how they best learn. So it took a little bit of trial and error and some things might have taken a little bit more time to, to get the point across and it might have been just, listen, just do this. But once again, it's the buy-in and the journey that the players appreciate. They feel like they're part of the decision-making process, which I think is vitally important to the very best sides. So let's take that a step further then. So you try this approach, trial and error, questioning, guiding, coercing, cajoling, and then there comes a point where you've got to offer feedback, where it's just not working. What routines or methods have you found more effective at giving feedback in a more direct manner? Like, for example, on game day, Game day, you have to be very direct. Listen, but once again, I will say, listen, this bit of your game that you're doing at the moment is not working. What is another alternative to that? Like give give them a solution-based response, if that makes sense. Let them come up with the answer. Well, what about, I'll try this. That's the answer I'm looking for. That's great. Picture it, feel it, let's go on and do it. Because the thing is with the players, the players have got a better understanding of what the game feels like than you in the coach's box upstairs. So, And they generally know the response that is required, but sometimes they just might need a little prod about, listen, this isn't working. What do you think is another action that you might be able to do? Oh, this one? No, maybe something a little bit more A, B or C. Oh, yeah, what about this? Yep, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What does it look like? Describe it to me. Yeah, it means I'm I'm doing this, this and this. What will it feel like when you've had that success? Well, I reckon I'll feel a bit more in flow. That's exactly right. Okay, you're back on in 30 seconds. Let's go. Because... It's a one-and-a-half-minute conversation, but it's going to get a better result than you just yelling at a bloke down the line, you need to do this better. If they come up with a solution, they're more invested and they're more importantly, they're thinking about what it looks like in their own head as they're talking to you and they can picture it. So before we go and play a game, we want the players to go in and visualise what the game will look like. So they get a great understanding about what does a Richmond game look like, what will it look like against this opposition. Okay, well, it'll look like A, B, C, and D. All right, what will it feel like? How will you feel if you're doing all those things that we're speaking about? And they'll sit there and they'll discuss that. But then what will happen is, unfortunately, we're playing in opposition. So the opposition sometimes don't allow you to play that way. So then what we speak about are what we call B factors, so factors that will try and hinder our performance. And we talk through them. So it might be the opposition's doing a tactic or the umpire makes a bad decision or we're not playing as well as what we'd like. Okay, well, what are some things that we can work around that if that happens, that we can get back to playing our best? And so this is all a visualisation process. So we're asking the players questions and getting them to come up with solutions. So they're already pre-programmed as a way. And so all we're doing on the bench when we're trying to give that direct feedback is looking for a pre-programmed response we've already seen in a visualisation session on probably two days earlier. So it takes a lot of training and we've got some fantastic coaches in this field that help us with this to get a great understanding and look of what a Richmond game feels like, looks like, sorry, but more importantly, what it feels like because the players can feel when they're in flow and they can also feel when things aren't working quite the way they want it to also. I'm going to start by saying you're a very rare individual that's played in a premiership and coached in a premiership, which is a wonderful thing. Very fortunate. No, it's great for me too because I get to interview someone that's had that experience. But you've also had this great evolution as an individual. So if I could take you back and introduce you to that skinny bank teller who was, by all accounts, was a lazy trainer but a fierce competitor, (laughs) what advice would you give that person to turbocharge their learning and and development? 
I think if I could go back, I would invest more time in myself. One thing I've, I've learned over the course of your journey, you do through experience, is to take care of yourself. I call it the <laughs> Dimmer's Daily Philosophy to Happiness. So yeah, life is hard and coaching is hard. There's that great line, once you accept that life is hard, life is no longer hard. But I've always found that in my job and in professional sport and all those sort of things, there's more kicks in the bum than there was pats on the back. So I developed a list of five things that I try and do every day that will make me happy. So, for example, uh, one of them is the first thing I'll do is I'll exercise in the morning. I'll read for 20 minutes. I'll journal for 20 minutes. I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll walk my dog. So there's five things throughout the day that even when I've had a bad day, I've done four of those five things. I've done some things that I've succeeded at and I feel better about myself. If I was more organised than I knew now, I'd start that process a hell of a lot earlier in my, my life because the journaling to me I found incredibly important, especially when you're going through a tough time because what you'll tend to go is, yeah, oh, I remember that time and I wrote some things down about how I was feeling but more importantly what I did to get myself out of that or what I learned from that that occasion. And it's become one of my most valuable tools about setting myself not only up for the day but up for my life. And we all go through it at various stages. You go through a, a period of life that you're in great flow, but then there's other stages where you're not going as well as at what you'd like to, but you've probably had an experience some two to three years prior to that that you've had some sort of similarities in the event. Well, what did I do or what could I have done differently from that? It's amazing what writing down things for 20 minutes a day does for you. Oh, that's a great answer. Was there someone, where did you pick that up from? Was it just something you started or did someone give you that? I think it was sort of started from, I think there was a book called The 5AM Club with Robert yes. Sharma. Mm. Yeah, and it mm. started from that. I thought, okay, well, this is what I can do. So I read it about five five years ago, I think it was, or six years ago now, I can't even remember. But I started to implement because I feel I work my best in the morning, no question. I feel fresher. It's quiet. Yeah, there's not people floating around and all that sort of stuff. So I feel I can get the best out of my day by starting early. And then I started the process about, okay, well, these are all the things I want to set out and achieve. We call it a power hour in that power hour as such before everything starts to filter into one. So that's where I got that really good understanding about setting up my day and then working from there. I mean, you've been talking about setting up your day. I'm just standing between you and that beer. So one more question, if I could. <laughs> Before I asked it, I wanted to just preface it with a quote, and it's from, from one of your players, the three-time Coleman medalist, Jack Rewald. And he says, it's always difficult to talk about truly personal stuff, but they, yourself uh, and the, the captain, Trinkotchen, admit their faults and work on their strengths. They've taught me so much about leadership. And so. It's a wonderful quote to receive from anybody, let alone someone of Jack's stature. But what I wanted to ask you is, when you do hang up that whistle, what's the legacy you hope you've left as a coach? I think the thing that I'm probably most proud of, not only myself, our organisation, is we've created a great footy club, but we've created a great footy environment for people to go on and use the things they've learned from our organisation in their life moving forward. Hopefully they've become better footy players, but more importantly, they've become better men, better people. The great Doc Rivers, I think, he starts his year off every year by saying, my name's Glenn Rivers and I am human. I'm going to make mistakes. But that's the fact that that's life. We learn more from our, our periods of hardship than we do from our periods of sustained success. But those darkest times lead us to those periods of sustained success. So make sure you take the gifts of them and learn them and learn from them, which is the most important thing. It's easy to be buried, very hard to be planted most of the time. Being planted, connect for Harvard leadership. I think that's probably a great place for us to finish. 
Damien, thank you so much for your time on a Friday afternoon in Australia. It's been a real masterclass in leadership listening to you and I wish you all the best for the season ahead. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here, and you've been listening to the great coach, Damien Hardwick. Some of the key highlights for me were how he changed his approach from viewing players' weaknesses to strengths. His belief that you are most engaged when the teacher uses questions to bring you on the learning journey and how he uses this in his coaching style. How he uses humor to lower anxiety and to help focus the team on his key messages. And the fascinating description of how he communicates with his players during the game using questions and visualization. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Fabio Pagani, who after listening to our interview with Sue Inquist said, great podcast. Sue's view on building confidence, inclusion, and enjoying the grind of excellence are worth listening and practicing. Thank you to the great coaches team. Thanks, Fabio. The interaction with people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And all the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.